Welcome to FO Podcasts. With me is Christopher Rupachel. He spent 11 years on Capitol Hill and ran for Congress in Texas. Naturally, he's Republican. He loves his steak. He eats his steak um, rare I with do. blood dripping <laughs> on the plate. Uh, so he's a good red-blooded Republican. And even on Halloween, I, I don't see him with red horns, uh, at least not yet. Uh, <laughs> Sir Christopher, welcome. Thank you, Atul. I, I think thank you. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's been a while since you've been back. You've been avoiding us. Uh, no, I haven't. I, I never do. Oh, uh, jolly. Jolly good. Okay. Now, uh, since um, you're back um, and we have to um, uh, talk about a rather interesting topic, who is this new speaker, new US speaker, Mike Johnson? For a second, I thought it was Mike Tyson, you know. <laughs> I was rather disappointed. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. I was what? thinking, my God, we'll have muscular Christianity as American foreign policy, finally. Well, I, I, I think you are right with the plan until somebody gets, until the opponent gets punched in the face. I, th I think the House of Representatives and certainly Republicans in this internecine war uh, feel like some of them got punched in the face and didn't know what to do. Well, uh, exactly. Now... British diplomats, I talked to one uh, this morning, and uh, indeed diplomats from several other countries, uh, some of them are mutual friends, uh, are asking me something very simple. Uh, they say, well, the US now has a speaker who denies the legitimacy of the 2020 elections. What does this say about the country? Now, mind you, these are Western diplomats asking mm -hmm. the question. Mm -hmm. Later, we'll have we'll have uh, questions from diplomats from shithole countries too. <laughs> <laughs> we do not discriminate. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so, to your question, what does it say? Uh, I, I think it's interesting. This guy's not as simple as he's made out in the media. There's been uh, a reductio ad absurdum in some cases. He's not a sort of Dominion voting machine guy who claims the machines were faulty. His, his demure, his concern is really pretty simple. In the run-up to the 2020 election, we had COVID, and uh, a lot of jurisdictions were deciding how votes could be cast a little bit on the fly. His concern was that these decisions were often made at a local level and at times did not have legislative input. Uh, in his uh, Texas v. Pennsylvania suit uh, that uh, the, the now speaker pushed and, and uh, Ken Pax of Texas filed, this was his main point that- So uh, you mean legislative input as in input of the US House of Congress, both houses of Congress, correct? Yes, in the state level as well. They, they can determine certain things, uh -huh. but to play so this- So both state and federal legislatures to be precise. Yes, but principally federal, but also obviously in this suit, it was Texas v. Pennsylvania. Got so uh, there's a state component here. However, his issue is it inherently uh, devalues the vote or, or the legitimacy or the, the feeling, the optics of the vote if uh, people at a local level without going through legislatures are allowed to determine the mechanism by which you're permitted to vote. So uh, he's he's not claiming that people were fiddling with machines that I know of. He is he's very much just we need to ensure elections are legitimate. 
he denies, obviously, to a degree this one was. By the way, he's been walking that back a little bit. So basically, but, democracy is fine in this country. That's what you're I would agree. the West. Yeah, this is a process question, not an out-and-out -out denunciation of democracy itself or Joe Biden. So it isn't the death of the firstborn and bubonic plague yet. No, I think we're a long way from that. We have to wait until you get into the House of Representatives and then we'll be there. I know. No. <laughs> we're not going to have mice with, or, with various fleas taking people out. All oh. right. All right. All right. So now let's get to the question um, that shithole country diplomats are asking. <laughs> and they've been rather pained by the fact that uh, under Joe Biden on 29 and 30 March 2023, the U.S. Department of State organized the Summit for Democracy. This was a follow-up to a summit in 2021. And they say, hang on a minute, uh, you've got a speaker who sort of thinks that your elections are not quite legit. Now, who are you to tell us, or rather, who are you to preach to us about elections? They are singing um, Madonna's song or playing Madonna's song, Papa Don't Preach. <laughs> 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 so what do you say to these these fellows, uh, fine fellows? <laughs> well, in the context of broader diplomacy, uh, I think you alluded to uh, a summit that only this president has ever had, and it is not longstanding U.S. policy. In the context of the the speaker, I mean, the, America's longstanding policy is to have friends everywhere. The Congress doesn't play a substantial role in international diplomacy. That is, that is uh, a, a large function of the executive. So to say that it will have any impact, a, a Republican speaker on a initiative by a Democratic president with no uh, precedent before, I think it's immaterial. Mm. I, I, I don't think it will weigh in any way on international yeah. relations. Uh, except for the perception that now they feel that, you know, Papa can't preach and, and uh, basically uh, uh, the U.S. can have friends everywhere and U.S. sailors can have uh, birds in a report. Birds are going British on that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I will say with, with, with Speaker Johnson, he is quite devout. I don't know how he'd be with uh, with, with all kinds of uh, uh, carrying on outside of marriage. We'll, we'll get to that in a moment. Though. I'm sure he will come around worried to meet uh, <laughs> you. Who, no, worried to meet who? Who's that uh, hot actress who was in the Wolf of Wall Street? Oh, uh, Australian gal. Oh, what's uh, her name? Yeah, I'll think of it in a second. Exactly. Yeah. We are getting She's, old. She can, she can persuade a lot of guys. I'm sure Mike, ja Mike Johnson uh, could uh, turn into a Mike Tyson pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> a little less violence. A little less violence, but I'm sure he could be tempted. Yeah. <laughs> he could stray from the narrow parts. <laughs> I have no doubt at all. Uh, so now, let's get into the prosaic. Uh, my editors, or our editors rather, because you're a contributing editor mm -hmm. as well, and so our editors, who would have thought, uh, you know, they listen to us, but some of them do, and so our editors have a question for you. Okay. Uh, and and they ask, what would have happened if the Republicans had not chosen a speaker now? Well, we quickly have a November seventeenth deadline looming. 
that would bring a shutdown. In fifties, who believed? No, in no, 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 no. Burning bridges <laughs> is not McCarthyism. <laughs> um, he he was a can he became speaker after many 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 ballots, mm. and some people still held a grudge. So. Uh, earlier this year, we approached the debt ceiling. The debt ceiling is simply the ceiling at which uh, America is allowed to borrow money. And McCarthy was able, the Biden administration said, we're not going to negotiate. McCarthy was able to negotiate a deal that many of his members didn't like. It passed. It gave the House, McCarthy and Republicans, some leverage. That went through to the dissatisfaction of some. Fast forward, recently we have had uh, an appropriations issue. So at the end of the fiscal year, the government no longer has the authority to spend money. And McCarthy was backed into the same kind of corner with a certain faction saying, burn the place down. When McCarthy could not pass a bill to permit expenditures, he decided to get those votes from Democrats. Well, anyone in Washington, D.C. could have told you this would trigger a provision that had only existed in this Congress. McCarthy, to secure his speakership, had to make a deal wherein one person could make a motion to vacate the chair, basically throwing the speaker out. Defenestration. Defenestration by, in this case, a fellow named Matt Gates and seven other Republicans who joined him. This is what threw us into chaos. Now, and just just a moment so that everyone knows, especially foreigners, the power of the purse is with the House of Representatives. So that means that the debt that the US government takes, the executive takes, and the money it spends, which is the appropriations, has to be passed by the US House of Representatives. In coordination with the Senate and signed by the president. Yes. You are right that historically the House has the power of the purse strings. He was thrown out on his ear. Now, And also another fact to note is this is the first time in the history of the US that a speaker has been thrown under a bus or out of the window. And uh, he has not landed headfirst yet. He is in dead so far as we know. Bleeding on the side of the road, but not dead. He's, <laughs> he's, he's fine. Wounded, sir, not dead. Wounded. Uh, and so because of this deal he made where one person could make a motion to vacate, a group of Republican House members uh, decided to try to take him out. And they were successful. However, that set the House adrift. They didn't have anyone ready at hand. Now, had we not elected a speaker, had the House not elected a speaker, we would quickly come up against another deadline. And that is on the 17th. That could engender a shutdown if the House were totally dysfunctional without a spunk functioning speaker able to bring bills to the floor and negotiate with some legitimacy with his own, uh, his own group, in this case, the Republican delegation, as you might say. So then we come up against that. If there were a shutdown, then every paper, and perhaps justifiably so, every news source would say, this is a Republican-led shutdown. That would be disastrous for the party. For the party. So is it true that anyone is better than no one because of that reason? Well, I, I hate to say anyone, but in this case, mm -hmm. I think it is absolutely essential that we have a functioning house. I mean, yeah, let's let's take your example. If you couldn't pass uh, a CR, the ability to spend money, I suppose it might be okay to have Attila the Hun who could at least get that portion to, fo to, to you know. CR is a uh, congressional resolution. Yes, it, it permits... In this case, it, it, CR, a continuing resolution. Continuing. And in this case, it would permit the government to continue to spend, you know, 
spend money. Mm -hmm. uh, so you would have a full on shutdown. Mm -hmm. And with any period of time, uh, you would potentially have some major problems. Yeah, especially with two wars going on, Russia-Ukraine war and then Israel and Hamas. Without the ability to yeah. do anything. And there were different, by the way, there were different uh, discussions. Um, there was a, an interim speaker, but he felt he didn't have the power to actually move legislation. This was hotly debated amongst members. But he came down on the side that, no, we have to have an actual speaker, formal speaker, to make those decisions and to bring legislation to the floor. All right. So let's uh, turn the spotlight on Mike Johnson. Mm -hmm. Who is Mike Johnson? Where does he come from? What is his education, if he has any? He does. He does. Oh, jolly good. Yeah. Jolly good. Very good. Uh, I'm always um, uh, delighted to learn that politicians are have an education. Uh, <laughs> it isn't always the case. They have degrees, but sometimes uh, not an education. But anyway, <laughs> we hope you'll be an exception, Christopher. I hope so. Uh, exactly. Which is which is why I would like you in Congress one day. But anyway, who supports him? What does he believe? What are his goals? Uh, does he want me to convert to Christianity, to his church? You know, these are all uh, curiosities, uh, you know, the, 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 the idle questions of idle minds. So educate us. Okay, so he went to Louisiana State. No, no, you... where does he come from? Which Louisiana. Louisiana, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. and so that's his district. Oh, so he's a good Southern boy. Uh, yeah, you could argue that. I mean, yeah. you know, is he a New Orleans kind of guy? Uh, no, he's he's his district is in the northwest. Um, so towards, he's more boring. Well, <laughs> we'll get we'll actually get to that in a moment. Um, I'm just curious. I get excited about thinking about New Orleans. I was there with our mutual friend Nasser Kelji. No, no, no. He, he's not slamming beers and shots on Bourbon Street. Um, he, he's he's from the northwest, or really along the west side of um, Louisiana. It's worth noting that Steve Scalise, the second most powerful member in the House of Representatives, is also from Louisiana. Wow. Uh, down in the southeast. Well, so what do they eat there? It's a tiny state. Oh, it's wonderful stuff. Oh, Gumbo, shrimp etouffee. Oh, it's lovely. I grew and up that around gives there. Them, and that gives them nutrition to go right till the top. I suppose so. They seem to be holding <laughs> the levers of power as of now. So I might have misspoken earlier. So we have Johnson from the West. I think I said East, but he's on the West side of, of, of Louisiana. Which Scalise. is not that far from the coast, folks. If you look at the map, uh, Louisiana is pretty much a coastal state. Not really. But the second most powerful member, Steve Scalise, is from the Southeast. This will, this will be important later on in terms of who supports him. Mm -hmm. So he went to LSU and then LSU Law School. So explain to international, especially our British. Yeah, Louisiana State LSU. University. Yeah, yeah, Louisiana State University. They might confuse it with LSC, the London School of Economics. No, the, no, he didn't the, the, go the there. The third school, the third <laughs> wheel of <laughs> British life. Uh, he, he did not go which, there. Which never quite manages to produce a prime minister. No, alas. <laughs> um, Except in Yes, Prime Minister. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that that uh, was not not a not a very nice betrayal. Uh, yeah, that was uh, perhaps a figment of imagination, perhaps flight uh, of fancy, flight of fancy, perhaps just a uh, uh, fulfillment of a long-standing wish that is impossible in reality. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, in terms of support and how he got picked. Uh, after McCarthy was deposed, uh, defenestrated. Uh, uh, five, what did he study in Louisiana State University? I don't, know his, I, do, <laughs> I don't know his undergrad, but he did go to law school later Excellent. on. So he's a good crammer. 
Did he pass the bar? Uh, he must have. Yeah, he practiced law for oh. uh, I don't know a decade or more. Oh, what sort of practice? He mostly um, took on religious or took worked on behalf of religious causes. Baptist, um, Christian. What, what uh, sort of Christian? Well, I mean, there there Catholic? were there were some uh, not well there are Catholics in Louisiana, but yeah, yeah. because it's uh, a French territory, which yeah, you guys but bought. they were Baptists, but generally, you know, they were labeled as Christian organizations. Hmm. And um, but is he a Protestant or is he a Catholic? You know, I don't know off the top of my head. Okay. Uh, I would kind of guess Catholic because he has seven children. Uh, well, because of the type of marriage, they entered into a, a different kind of marriage that only four states allow. Oh, I see. Uh, and so. At any rate, uh, he went to LSU, went to LSU Law. Uh, in terms of who supports him, he has broad support. So after McCarthy's gone, we have Steve Scalise. We just mentioned him, the second most powerful person from uh, the southeast of Louisiana. Uh, Steve Scalise was not well received by the entire delegation. Why not? He was thought to be a bit too much of an insider. He was thought to be a strong McCarthy ally in some ways, though some people say that there was tension between Scalise and McCarthy. I don't know those interpersonal things. One thing's for sure, he's been an insider's insider for a long time. From there, we went to Jim Jordan. Oh, and Steve Scalise is more moderate. It's worth noting, he comes from a, a pretty strongly, he has a Cook PVI, which is the partisan voting index of in Republican plus 23. So there's a spread of 23 percentage points. Uh, that swing Republican in his district. So then we went to Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan was thought of as a candidate that would uh, be a reward for bad behavior. Jim Jordan, also an insider, he is associated with the Freedom Caucus, some of the folks who conjured up this defenestration. The, the sort of people who believe right to arms includes right to have a tank. He's... <laughs> 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 on your front lawn. Well, he's, and, and he comes from a strong Republican district. Yeah. It's interesting. Scalise is more moderate in a very Republican district. Jim Jordan's an R plus 20 district. And he was thought as a candidate who would who would be essentially rewarding Matt Gates and his crew for bad behavior, too much of an insider. For a brief time, we had a fellow named Tom Emmer who lasted about two hours before he stepped down. Yeah, this is less than the shelf life of a lettuce. It really is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's okay. The, the former British prime minister shouldn't feel so bad now. Yeah. <laughs> so then we ended up with Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson has an R plus 14 district, but he is very much a man of the right. And what does he believe? Um, he is very devout. You know, I like thinking about what sort of what makes people tick or really the formative events in their life. And he was born to a 17 year old mother. His parents were very, very young, and he's the eldest child. He has strong anti-abortion views, very many, strong. How many he is brothers pro and life. How many brothers uh, and sisters? Three, three siblings. Okay. And he is very pro-life. And I have to think, and this is just me, mm. I, you know, I don't have anything to substantiate this, that being born to a 17-year-old mother might develop some views about abortion, uh, whether or not his mother might have thought about it at the time. Mm. So he is anti-abortion or, as the uh, Republicans say, pro-life. You could be the first Republican Freudian. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
as you know, we do a lot of free psychological work over at my carriage house. Uh, yes, I can see a future for you. Yeah. Uh, we just have you to get you to Congress. And everyone will be sitting in your office having free therapy in the oh, evening. Oh, Lordy. That'll be, that'll be a lot of free work. Um, so this is where it gets interesting. He's very wonkish. He is known to have... Uh, you know, decidedly right of center. Some of many have said the news right wing views, but he's very wonkish. He is devout. He is well liked by his members and constituents. Last time, last election, he ran unopposed. It's worth noting that in the speaker's vote, it was unanimous on the Republican side. They all rallied behind him. This caught a lot of people off guard because in the past, it was pretty clear early on in the voting tallies that the other folks weren't going to get it. He is known for being principled and he has a lot of conviction, but he's not known for being strident in discussions. He does not have deep ties to corporate donors. Uh, McCarthy mm. was a fundraiser, you know, par excellence. Mm. Um, uh, Speaker Johnson is, is not a massive fundraiser. He is known for having principled stances. They, he doesn't make it personal. If you, if you watch videos of him, he has a very nice demeanor. He's not screedy. He's not a bomb thrower, but he does vote very much on his, his religious principles. It's also interesting and less remarked. When his son was 14, he he and his wife, early in their marriage, uh, they adopted a 14-year-old black kid and refers to him as his son. This child, I believe his name is Michael, does not want to be a part of his political career. He, I've not seen any pictures of him. The speaker frequently will make reference to this son. Uh, the son is apparently living out in California and just fine. But it's something that most people haven't discussed. Some people have asked, well, where does this son exist? But he maintains that he is trying to protect his son who doesn't want to be a part of it. And I would be really shocked if, if this were all a figment. He went out and some Republicans didn't love this. The killing of George Floyd, which mm. was massive in this country. Yes, he, it, uh, it led to the Black Lives Matter movement. Yes. And it... Uh, led to football players in England kneeling as well. So mm -hmm. it, it really blew up all across Europe. He was well. unequivocal. He, he called it, and I quote, an act of murder. Mm. And some Republicans felt this stance played into a more liberal narrative. Of, and an anti-police narrative. Well, and led to an anti-police narrative yeah. as well. Uh, you could argue that. Defund I, the police, it led to at some point. Yes, and yes. That really hurt many, many of my friends who are not uh, Republicans as well. It, it hurt many Democrats and it hurt especially independents. Uh, well, and cities friends. are paying the toll. Yeah, I mean, all, there's been a tremendous backlash. Yeah. To so all the, my friends who are independents, for instance, they said that that is the one thing they don't like about Democrats because you do need good police to have security and well, safety. Well, and interestingly, you know, I lived in a, a very high crime area of D.C. Of minorities. Yeah. I, you, I, you were the only uh, white fellow with blonde hair. For a while I was. Yeah, I was which the is only why you took to bodybuilding. <laughs> I did. For, <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's not why. That's not why. But yes. Oh, uh, don't deny. So, don't deny. You, you had to look tough. Muscles that, might have helped. In that rough neighborhood. Yeah. Come on. But, you know, those neighborhoods didn't want to see the police defunded. Uh, tense as their interactions with the police might have been, uh, in many cases, when you would talk to people in poor neighborhoods and the poll numbers showed, you know, played this out, they didn't say get rid of the police. Yeah. Uh, but let's look back. Let's look back to Mike Johnson. So yeah. Mike Johnson was very much 
unequivocal in condemning George Floyd, right? George yeah, Floyd's described it as murder. As murder. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so now that's great. So what are his goals? That's the one question you haven't answered. Yeah, sure. So he said in his remarks after immediately being elected speaker, uh, he said the greatest threat to our national security is our nation's debt. And he has decided that addressing the solvency of U.S. pension schemes, as the Brits would say, uh, or entitlements, as they're referred to in America, is a huge issue for him. Now, this has been described as gutting uh, Social Security and Medicare. those are going to gut themselves. If you look at the trustees report, we have less than a decade before they go insolvent. Okay. And he's so, willing to call a spade a spade in the way that Biden and even Trump aren't. Okay, so very good. So his goal then is fundamentally um, solve the entitlements issue and then, of course, champion pro-life in Capitol Hill because that's what he believes in. I think that would be one of his uh, agenda items, but that's not his job anymore. He's got to corral that entire delegation. Exactly. So now that brings me very neatly onto the next question our editors have come up with. And uh, God bless them if there is a God. Um, I believe some of them believe in God. They're Americans after all. (laughs) Uh, What is Mike Johnson's experience uh, when it comes to running a legislative agenda? None, really. This was seen as an asset. As I mentioned before, mm-hmm. a lot of members didn't like the insiders' insiders. Um, and so he doesn't have really any experience here. He's, he is a fourth-term member of Congress. So he's been around a few years. He has led the subcommittee on judiciary and the Constitution and limited government. So his, his lack of leadership credentials were considered a strength. He doesn't have ties to leadership like Jordan, Scalise, or McCarthy, or big fundraisers. In fact, on the last ballot, when they were deciding who would be their candidate they put up, uh, the second place, uh, the runner-up, if you will, was Byron Donalds, who is an ambitious freshman whose hat has been thrown in uh, when even McCarthy was mm-hmm. running as speaker. So... Uh, he doesn't have really any experience. He's, he's he, he doesn't have insider experience in, in backroom negotiating because he's never been, as Kimberly Strassel pointed out, in those back rooms. Understood. So what does this mean for legislation? For obviously a lot of members, it's a breath of fresh air. No one has seen his style aside from being affable. It's an unknown. It's an unknown. Okay. So you've already touched upon why did other candidates not succeed. Um, But um, would it be fair to say that he was perhaps the most likable of the lot? I think he was. Some people are also saying that the pressure was building on Republicans to find someone. Whether or not he he won out of a degree of exhaustion, that may be fair to say for certain members. You know, it got so bad that when Jim Jordan was put up for speaker. Mm-hmm. Matt Gates, who led this insurgency. Well, why wasn't kind, he put up for speaker? He wouldn't win dog catcher <laughs> right now. He he, he, and the other eight offered to be uh, censured, suspended, or removed if they would allow Jim Jordan to become speaker. So they were feeling the pinch a little bit as this wore on. Now, it's worth noting, in the end, those eight kind of got their guy in. I mean, I mean, you know, the current speaker is is an avowed man of the right, or he's a very Republican. I mean, right is, or whatever you want to call him. Is he a protege of Donald Trump? 
he has close ties to Trump. Trump did endorse him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that no doubt helped him. But also keep in mind, as I said, Scalise, the number two, is also from Louisiana. So is he know, also close to Trump? Uh, Scalise, mm-hmm. I would say less. So Scalise is known a mm-hmm. bit more. Uh, full disclosure, I have personal reasons for liking Scalise. I think I think he runs hell of a shop. But um, is he super close to Trump? I don't remember. I don't I don't think he's, you know, a Trump, Trump, so, Trumper at all. So on the Trump question. Trump has legal problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is a question uh, by young editors. And they ask, what does it mean for the US to elect a protege of Donald Trump? And they have, as they have ancillary questions, why are Americans so tolerant of shadiness? What does it say about how they value their own institutions? Mind you, these are all questions by, edit- by Americans. Sure. Okay. Um, what does it mean to elect a protege of Trump? You know, in terms of the certification of elections, those rules have changed. I mean, I mean that he is close to Trump. I, I go back to his reason for, you know, denying the election, if that's the phrase you want to use. It was a principled reason. Many people are saying this shows how far to the right the mm. the House and Republicans have gone. Forgetting, I believe, that it was a mere eight people who created this ruckus. I don't think it is indicative of such a pronounced shift to the right. What is probably true is this is the most, quote unquote, right wing speaker the House has ever had. Mm. But I think it's more reflective of um, the holdouts and, and you know, because they had burn leverage. it down. They had leverage. because yeah, So it was a game of chicken and, um, and so basically the others blinked. Mm. In a way, but 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 uh, you know, Speaker Johnson is well liked. That's that's undeniable. It's worth noting to point to leverage. I think it would be useful for people to know that Republicans currently can lose but four votes with their majority. It's a very slim majority, which gives leverage to um, perhaps some of the most strident factions of the party. Understood. So I don't think it means. As a whole, the party has shifted that far to the right. I think he was palatable. I think the pressure was building. I think he was well-liked. He's known for being wonkish and earnest in his beliefs. He's not a talking point bomb thrower. So the sh- concern over shadiness is exaggerated. He he won the election by his peers unanimously. Okay. And, and you know, if you want to say arms were twisted, look at McCarthy. I mean, you know, he it took him, what, 15, 17 ballots to get yeah. there. This and, was and, one ballot. So the institutions, I, the fear that the institutions are degrading, you would say, uh, is also exaggerated and the pendulum will swing back. The speaker himself said, cited this this back and forth, this strum and drawing these multiple ballots as evidence that the institutions held. Uh, I think that we lacked a speaker for a while is a problem. And and some are proposing a rule that would say, if you kick out a speaker, then that person will retain the powers of the speakership until a new one is selected. I think that would be wise, not having this rudderless mess that we've had. So question for you, do you think he lost? So McCarthy's McCarthy was asked, you know, what what words of advice he would have for a future speaker before Johnson was elected, uh, was, was, yeah, elected. He said, get rid of the the new rule. It's still in the rules, by the way. Mm-hmm. Get rid of the rule that so, allows one person to vacate the chair. So any one person could go and stab this poor young, or not so young, Mike Johnson. 
Yeah, they could. They could, he could be punched in the face. He could. <laughs> he could. He's going to have a honeymoon phase. His will probably be longer than McCarthy's was. Johnson wants to do another patch, another CR that will last until January or April. So that so explain to people a patch very quickly. A patch is where you don't do an annual uh, appropriations bill. The House, by the end of the financial year, is supposed to, by essentially October 1, is supposed to pass all their appropriations, then everyone can go on spending money. And the big bugbear for a lot of Republicans is that they have not been doing this. Last December's omnibus, where they just put everything in and just packed it all in, and it was a hot mess. It was just an explosion in spending. So Republicans very much want to go through the old appropriations route, all 12 bills. And as of now, they have four they've passed. So he wants to effectively punt on this spending authority, buying himself uh, in, the, in the House enough time to negotiate these bills individually so it doesn't become a giant kitchen sink. Uh, he will have- This the is same- what the Democrats want. They want to tie everything together. They want to tie the Israeli, the Ukraine aid with the Israeli aid. And, and, and to my knowledge, the new speaker opposes a blank check to Ukraine. Yeah, since at least May of 22, he's opposed Ukrainian aid. He is strongly in favor of uh, assisting Israel. In fact, the first bill- Well, it's the Holy Land. Yes, yes, yeah. Uh, he's a devout Christian. That's right, that's right. And so- I mean, he could even send his children as modern-day crusaders for all you know. <laughs> and, and go there himself as Richard the, Richard the Lionheart. I'm not touching that one with a 10-foot pole, man. <laughs> well, Richard had a long pole. He was, he was fantastic on this deed. The Arab cavalry disappeared in the face of his assault. Okay, well, uh, I don't think that's what he has in mind, but he did, the first bill he brought to the floor was, I believe, a sense of Congress supporting Israel. He has since relented just a touch. He is open to negotiating on Ukrainian aid. So we may see a bill that lumps together Ukrainian and Israeli aid. Yeah. So that the first lady can continue her shopping. The first lady? Of Ukraine. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I, I, I don't think Mrs. Biden is a spendthrift, but. <laughs> uh, but the Ukrainian first lady is young. Yeah. She needs to uh, keep up appearances. Well, after all, she has to uh, hobnob with all these Westerners who are rich and affluent this and, is, and, and wear diamonds and pearls. It's interesting you brought that up because one of the principal demurs to Ukrainian aid is that uh, we don't feel we have enough control over the money, know where it's, it's corruption. going. It's I, I hear and again and again from Republican circles and even actually some uh, circles in intelligence and, and defense that um, there should be more oversight and more targeted spending and more efficient and effective spending. That is that is the the concern yeah. a lot of Republicans have. And, and I don't know how he gets around that. I mean, once again, mm. what he believes and what he can effectively marshal through mm-hmm. or shepherd through the House of Representatives are two different things. So let's come back to domestic policy. And the big, big question is the power of the purse. So even if he does a patch that takes spending till January. So the US government can spend till let's say end of January, maybe mm-hmm. February. Mm-hmm. What happens then? Will this be a recurring saga like a Latin American soap opera, lots of storm and drang and, and, and uh, speakers falling on their sword as in the Roman Republic? 
Well, one of his big pitches to Republicans was that he wants to pass all the appropriations bills. This year, individual appropriations bills. This year, they got a late start. So, just very quickly, what are individual appropriations bill in a line, in a sentence or two? So there are 12 of them, and they effectively uh, allow for the entire federal government to spend money. And each bill would have one bill would be defense, one would be More or less. another department. Yeah. So mm -hmm. they, they are not bundled together. So right. you can scrutinize each bill. Correct. And it allows for a greater degree of legislative scrutiny. Mm -hmm. Correct. Good. Good Excellent. way of articulating that. One thing, if he wants to hang on, he will have to start this process much earlier. But let's say he punts to April. He's already lost three months of that year to get going on the appropriations bills all over. So and we have an election coming up. So more battle ahead. We do. We do. So that will be a, a concern moving forward. But that was one of his big pitches to the delegation. That, that he was going to pass individual appropriations bills. This also hurt McCarthy. Mm. And as a bit of a last-ditch effort, he was able to get a couple of the major appropriations bills through, passed, and uh, but it wasn't enough. It was too little too late in the eyes of a lot of people. So believe it or not, I have just one final question. Sure. How is the Biden administration reacting to the new speaker? This is interesting. So... For the Democrats who are very upset over this, I would say they didn't lift a finger for McCarthy. They didn't lift a finger for Scalise. They could have swung this to where they had someone who was more their kind of guy. More someone they could have a beer with. Someone they could, someone who, <laughs> someone who would be more amenable to their input. And in fact, as I said before, McCarthy had to get Democrats to come on board with the current patch we're operating under until November 17th. They did not lift, lift a finger. They, to a, to a degree, hung McCarthy out to dry, hung Scalise out Was it to a dry. political blunder? Or are they, are they deliberately playing this game in which they let the more moderate Republicans wither on the wine or die on their sword? And then, of course, you have uh, Mike Johnson, who comes and says, we won't have abortion and we will cut spending. We will let granny die uh, without uh, Medicaid, Medicare. Sorry. And, and then they run the election on that uh, platform or on that issue. Yes, some are taking consolation and being able to depict the current House Speaker and, and therefore portray all Republicans in the House as being absolute right wingers. Well, some are calling uh, the Republican Party a fascist party that we, has lost faith in democracy and is rallying around an authoritarian like Donald Trump. Which I think is nonsense. I mean, we, we no, kind you're of a Republican. You have to say that. You have to win your primary. Well, I mean, come on, <laughs> fascism. You know, uh, these words have meaning. I mean, for crying out loud. But I do think Democrats. Yeah, he's not wearing uniforms. That's true. I, I, now that I think of it. <laughs> <laughs> the second he decides he's a colonel or a general, maybe we'll talk. Um, I, I think Democrats enjoyed the chaos. Keep in mind what was in the news at that time inflation, uh, auto strikes, and various other strikes. Uh, Joe Biden joined the auto workers. The he, first time a president joined um, a picket. Yes, line. but you had inflation, strikes, Senator Menendez, a, a Democratic senator, he was caught with a bunch of gold bars, a Mercedes, 
Hunter Biden. Does he have an Armenian wife like Kim, like Kim Kardashian? He does not. <laughs> he he has a wife he married a few plus years ago, and is she's she in trouble Ukrainian? too. She is, is not. Is she Ukrainian? No, she is not. Uh, and so, um, you know, Hunter Biden, the president's own son, that was in the news. So Democrats delighted in all this being swept out of the news in favor of a narrative that Republican chaos. It's all they could report on. So I think they liked that chaos. But what now? Okay, they've achieved it. The, the, the Kevin McCarthy is gone. Scalise is gone. They've achieved mm-hmm. their goal. But now can they do business with this new guy, Mike Johnson? It's a relative unknown. I mean, uh-huh. You know, no, no one really knows what his style is. We know what his personal beliefs are, but we don't know what his style will be in terms of uh, negotiating with, reaching across the aisle or really any of that. Uh, you know, he, he has backed off on a few of his former positions. He does seem to be pragmatic about aid packages. As I said, he is open to negotiating on Ukraine now. So in order for him to be uh, effective, he will have to, to a certain degree, not jettison his own perspective, but learn how to work the broader will of the Republican delegation within very, very fine majorities. With Matt Gates as a wonderful support. Well, but Matt Gates does support him. In mm-hmm. fact, Matt Gates made a statement. He said now with a MAGA speaker, he described him as a MAGA speaker, which is oh, make, make America, America great, great again, again, which is Trump's slogan. Yeah. Uh, which Ronald Reagan came up with. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's the, yeah, it's the again that was uh, that was kind of clever, really. Um, but no one knows his style. Uh, Matt Gates is a supporter. There is a honeymoon period, but in effect, he faces all of the same problems that McCarthy had before. Go ahead. No, no, no. I said so. We are living um, in an era. Uh, of unknown unknowns, um, as Donald Rumsfeld once beautifully expressed. Yes. Excellent. So, um, fantastic to hear you shine the light on all these issues. Uh, It, uh, I'm sure it will educate a lot of our diplomat friends. Uh, It is something Indian CEOs will listen to. And I'm sure our dear friend, Frank Grafer, the swashbuckling oh, yeah. former German defense yeah. attaché will listen to very carefully and send us a WhatsApp message very fantastic. soon. Yeah, yeah. So this uh, podcast is in tribute to Frank Grafer, the best defense attaché and diplomat we've ever seen in Washington, D.C. Yeah. And by the way, if any of y'all want to shoot me a line on my Fair Observer email, I'm not hard to find. So I'd be happy to answer any questions. Uh, Hopefully that doesn't mean my inbox will be slammed, but by all means, reach out. Yeah, And and if you're writing from a company, we know you have money, you'll have to pay. Uh, Christopher (laughs) Rupachel is a partner at Fair Observer Intelligence and our managing partner, Sanjay Acharya, will beat him with a club and a spiked club (laughs) if he answers questions for free. Okay, good for me to know. That's a new piece of information. Yeah, well, there you go. We are learning from the Republicans. <laughs> well, in that case, you'd throw me out a window instead of the spike. No, no, no. We are learning from them and improving upon them. Mm. <laughs> I see. Uh, uh, after all, I'm a Rajput. You have to rediscover my barbaric roots. Oh, my. Okay. All right. I'm adding a lot to my door. <laughs> Excellent. On that merry note, ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you anon. We'll drag this fellow with long hair back by the hair if he escapes us for too long. (laughs) Thank you all. Appreciate it. Bye for now.